Hey, everyone. It's time for the Image Doctors Photography Podcast. I'm Jason O'Dell. And I'm Rick Walker. And it is good to be back after our little hiatus there. Um, I was on travel, so kind of hard to do podcasts from from uh, on a ship out in the Gulf of Alaska. <laughs> so <laughs> there was Wi-Fi on board, but not very good uh, Wi-Fi on board. It'd be nice, ratty audio. It, yeah, it was basically enough to, to check email, and that was yeah. that was enough for me. But uh, I am back from that, and it was a, a wonderful trip. I had um, 14 clients along, and we went up to Denali on the train, which was fun. Um, we drove around there, and then we got on a cruise ship uh, back from Whittier all the way down to Vancouver, where we disembarked and then came home from Seattle. So very good trip. Um, highly recommend that sort of uh whether it's a photo trip or just a vacation, it's it's that part of Alaska is really un, inaccessible otherwise. Which um, part? Oh, the the, the 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 yeah, the Panhandle. You know, yeah. Ketchikan, Juneau, Skagway, all those places—they're yeah. not really even connected. But you can't drive to Juneau, believe me. No, a cruise ship is a great way to do that. So it's wonderful. Um, you can see a bunch of towns. Do the excursions are outstanding. Some of my clients went fishing and went looking for bears and did a bunch of things on their own, um, which was just fun. And and then of course you, you eat well, <laughs> I'm still recovering from, from eating too much for a week. Yeah. Um, but, but that was a fun trip and we'll, we'll talk more about cruise ships maybe in a future episode, because it's an interesting way of doing some photography. There's a lot of opportunities mm-hmm. for photography that you might not think about on, on taking a cruise and it's, it's a really great vacation um, experience and we're going to be taking a cruise in about a month, right? We're yeah. going up to new England yeah. on a cruise, which is another one of those places that's harder to get to um, by road. I mean, you can do it, but we'll be getting all the way up to places like Halifax, Nova Scotia and things like that. Mm-hmm. Hopefully see some fall colors. So yeah, gets into the permutations of what to pack, right? <laughs> it's always oh, such a dilemma. First world problems. Anyway, a um, couple of things, though, we got this week, right? Um, there's been a several gear announcements, um, some some Sony stuff, some, some Tamron stuff um, for Sony and Nikon, uh, some new cameras from Sony, and we'll get to those in a bit. But this week, there was, drumroll please, a supermoon. <laughs> <laughs> and um which is just barely bigger than the regular moon yeah so funny Uh, and 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 i i'm a real big fan of neil degrasse tyson Mm -hmm. love his stuff you know and astrophysicist at the um you know the american museum of natural history the the planetarium there you know he studied under carl sagan you know brilliant guy right and you know he has a knack of explaining things and you know, the, the size of the moon, the apparent size changes month to month. And then sometimes it's a little bit bigger and sometimes a little bit smaller. But his his description of it was spot on. You're talking about a moon that's about seven and a half to eight percent larger in terms of its diameter. What does that really mean? He said that's the difference between a 15 and a 16 inch pizza. <laughs> so if you really held up a 16 inch pizza compared to the normal 15 and you wanted to label it super. <laughs> You you might have some people taking taking umbrage with that, you know. <laughs> but in, in in fact, nobody ever called them super moons up until about 
six or 10 years ago, you know, like seven or eight years ago, all of a sudden we started saying there's going to be a super moon. It's going to be bigger and brighter. And what happens is everybody goes out and take pictures of it. And that's not a bad thing, actually, in my mm -hmm. opinion. You know, you want to go out and, and, and shoot a full moon. And then what do you see in your feed on your social media stream? A lot of blurry, blown out pictures of the moon that people and try to take. just the moon. Or it's just the moon. And while it's not our total topic today, I thought it would be nice to just address some, some lunar photography tips. Because I wrote about these in an ebook a while back. Um, uh, you know, and the settings really haven't changed. The full moon is kind of an exposure nightmare if you're trying to get it in an environmental setting. Right. Um, the moon itself is sunny 16. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Exactly. I mean, it really is. It's like a daylight yeah. exposure, except it's set in this otherwise dark ambient lighting, right? So so there's a couple things that, you know, and I, I went and took a few shots last night just to say I did. Um but you know your so, your settings are surprisingly heading. surprisingly amazing. It was like I was shooting at a thousandth of a second in ISO three hundred, you know, four hundred. You know, but just like, to give a preview, here's where we're heading. If the idea of going out and shooting the moon sounded good to you and you forgot to do it, just do it next month. It's not going to look any different in a right. Photo. Nobody Truly. will know. No one will be the wiser. But so you can still get some nice shots. And that's what we're going to talk about. So if you just want telephoto shots of the moon and that's it, <sighs> yeah. I mean, everybody does it. It's, it's, it's an exercise that is worth attempting. Keep in mind that the moon moves pretty fast in the sky. Mm -hmm. It's not a long exposure, slow shutter speed subject at all. Even if you're on a tripod, um, you're going to want to use a fairly fast shutter speed. And like you were saying, it's a sunny 16 exposure. What does that mean? That means you could be shooting ISO 400 uh, F8 at 800th of a second, if I did my math right. Um, and if and if you wanted to go, so you, so you don't need high ISO to shoot the moon. But what you're going to get is you're going to get the full moon. It will be properly exposed. Um, you can use spot metering, whatever you want to do on it, and everything else will be black. And that's what you'll get a the a disc in the sky. And I. I think that's an exercise that everybody probably does at least once or twice. And, you know, it's not wrong. It's just not very artistic or creative. It's pretty dull. You know, yeah. unless you've got some really crazy telescope stuff and you're, you know, into that, that's a different application. Um, but even a 500 millimeter lens isn't very long for the moon. If you want it right. to fill the frame. I mean, you, I was shooting with the 800 equivalent last night and, it's not bad, but I still enlarged it a little bit. I cropped in. Anyway, so exposure challenge, but let's talk about a more practical setting for the moon. Shots that include the moon can be quite good, you know, landscape mm -hmm. shots. So some kind of a foreground element to give you that scale, you know, the moon rising behind a tree, a building or whatever. A hillside. Yeah, just something. And then you run into this other problem, right, which is... When the moon is full on your calendar, you know, it says full moon or you get the alert, super moon tonight or whatever, full moon. And you look at the time of the moon rise. <clears throat> the moon will rise at the horizon about 20 minutes after sunset 
give or take. Mm-hmm. That's in the blue hour. That's in twilight. But by the time the moon is high enough up to actually see it, you're you're maybe almost 45 minutes past sunset. And what does that mean? It's dark. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now you have a true exposure nightmare because if you were trying to expose for any part of the landscape, the moon's going to just blow out completely. Mm-hmm. So we we have a workaround for <laughs> for that. And it's it's probably one of the better lunar photography tips. It has nothing to do with camera settings. Mm-hmm. You want to share that, Rick? I'm not sure uh, which one you're talking about, so I'll let you go first. Well, it has and to do I'll with the, mine. If it has if to do you, with the timing of your shot, of your date, the day that you choose to shoot the moon. Oh, you're just go ahead and mention it. Okay, I know what you're talking. If about. you want to shoot, if you're if you're if you are. Um, if you are okay with a 99% full moon, mm-hmm. which honestly doesn't look very different. <laughs> from the, yeah. and, and especially if it's an environmental shot, you know, where you're not just doing a close-up of the moon. Mm-hmm. If you shoot the full moon the night before the, the quote full moon comes up on the calendar, what you're going to have is the moon rising about 20 minutes before sunset. And it will be in the sky at twilight. Mm-hmm. This is the ideal. T- then you're going to get a sunset. You know, the sun will be down, but you're going to have light on your on your landscape and the moon in the sky. And you can get it at blue hour. And you know, I, and I've done this in places like White Sands, and I've done it here. You know, and then you can get some just magical photos that include the moon, but aren't the moon as the subject. No, that's absolutely true. And that's a great tip. The the other one I was thinking of is when you when you're not able to shoot on that day and you're forced into the worst situation, you can also look for landscape elements that you throw into a silhouette. Correct. So you're not faced with that right. big exposure problem. But you you want to find the right kind of elements. And they don't have to be natural ones. They could be man-made ones. It could be you know, a little bit of a cityscape. It could be, you know, windmills out in the, on the prairie. It could be a bunch of things. Right. But now, you know, just think silhouettes also. Things that work with the moon, I have found 99% of the time, um, if you have a landscape and the moon is in it, uh, you need a single shot. Um, and there's a single exposure. Um, the moon moves too quickly and creates halo effects, you know, just from the atmosphere in the sky to attempt any sort of HDR merge. It looks right. awful. So yeah. don't even bother. No, with we've, that. we've both tried it. It's and just... it, it just doesn't work. Mm. And then, and then there's a couple other things about the moon. These are all things in my ebook, um, but you can shoot the full moon setting the next morning. <laughs> you don't have to shoot it when it comes up. Moon rises in the east, sets in the west, at least the last time I checked. Um, and that's pretty consistent. So if you've got better landscape elements that are facing west or you know to your west, you can shoot mm-hmm. the moon in the following morning. Just get up mm-hmm. a little early. Same rules apply there. So I've, I've done a couple things. One, one would be if you really need to, you know, 
when it's a landscape, I will usually end up exposing for the highlights in the moon to preserve them as best I can and then pull the shadows in the rest of the shot. Mm-hmm. With, with most of these cameras today, that works pretty well. The only other thing I'll do is if I do use multiple shots, there have been times where I will just take one shot that's truly just exposed for the moon, same composition, and then a second shot that's exposed for the background. And then rather than blending them, I will almost do it. Well, I'll sort of blend them, but it's more like a, I'll actually end up doing a, um, you know, like a, a composite but not a composite where I'm trying to change the size of the moon. You see those all the time, like, you know, these crazy shots where how do they get everything in focus? You know, it's like, cause they can't, you know, unless you've got a really distant object out there on your horizon, you're never going to get a sharp moon and a sharp building in the same shot. Typically it just doesn't happen. Um, but what I ended up doing was taking the image where the moon was blown out and putting it in Photoshop and using content aware fill just completely get rid of it and then in my second layer then just just Mm -hmm. put the moon in that worked pretty well because then you get rid of those halo problems from the exposure differences between your shots yeah so so that's the case where the moon is still the same same relative position in the frame same size in the frame but i am doing a composite um i you know there, there's you can do whatever you want, <laughs> but but a lot of times people just paste in a full moon onto a landscape and it's not it's not natural. No, that that never looks right. There's the lighting is always wrong. V- variety of things. So but the the moral of the story is get out next month. Exactly. And give this a try. That's right. So if you're looking at your super moon shots from from the other night and going, man, these are not really what I wanted. You got to, you don't have to wait till the next one on the calendar, just go or on the next, you know, quote, super moon, just go out and shoot the regular full moon and mm-hmm. go out that day before go out that night before. And, uh, you might be kind of surprised, um, yeah. get one of those apps like photo ephemeris or one of these ones that, you know, photo pills or something that tells you when the moonrise times are, and you can actually look cause it's going to need to be about, you know, 10 or 15 degrees above the horizon before you really notice it. Um, yeah. And that's when it starts getting getting dark. All right. Well, anyway, um, I'll step down off the Supermoon soapbox. So let's do some okay. product announcements. There was a, a set of things that came out from Sony. Mm-hmm. And I do have some familiarity with the predecessors of these things. Okay. So you um, want to go cameras first or lenses first? Let's do the lens first. Okay. So they came out with the 16 to 35 2.8 GM Mark II. So um, second edition. Second edition. I, I've actually owned the first edition for like six years, seven years, something like that. And it's a very good lens. Um, it's only weaknesses when you get up to 35. It's just not quite as sharp as it is through the rest of the range, but it's a very good lens. Um, and it's not the world's bulkiest or heaviest lens, but the new one is really pretty compact. I've used the other G I own the other GM two zooms, you know, the 24 to 72, eight and the 70 to 200 to eight. So I have a pretty good sense of what this thing is like and how it feels and how it operates. Cause Sony has gone with some common things like putting an aperture ring on there mm-hmm. and having several um, custom um, buttons on there that the, you can use for, AF on functions or whatever the heck you want and a variety of other things. 
and they've done a really good job with them. Those other two lenses are incredibly sharp and nice to use. This one's going to be the same. Um, I mean, it looks like a winner. It really does. The, the only thing with it is if you already own the existing 16 to 35, two eight, it's not a colossal jump in sharpness or anything like that, but it's a bunch of smaller features that are nice, lighter weight, smaller size, right. aperture ring, um, closer focusing, you know, nice, solid improvement. So it's, it's a good upgrade. And it may pair well, if you're just getting into say buying a Sony kit, um, mm -hmm. it may pair well with one of these new cameras that just got released. Yeah. So and there's two, got two of them. Right. One is an update to an existing and one's kind of a new one, right? Well, they're, they're, they're well, it depends on how you look at it. So the, the camera I've owned for a couple of years is the A7C. And, and that's what both of these cameras are based on. They use the same central body, button placement, everything. Screen um, folds out in the same way. And fairly similar cameras. These are designed to be somewhat compact form factor if i yeah if these I'm are correct. the ones that are they if you just looked at them superficially they have that range finder like styling you don't have the the bump in the middle for okay. know, what used to be right so they're kind of just a rectangle mm -hmm. for, for lack of a better description and, and the a7c is a nice little camera that's the existing one it's a 24 megapixel camera really nice image quality 35 millimeter format yeah, it's a full yeah, okay. frame okay. camera despite the small size. All right. And, you know, so it uses all the regular Sony full frame lenses. Um, the, the issues with it, you know, it's a fun little camera, especially with smaller primes. The issues with it are the existing camera electronic viewfinder did not have very high magnification. It was like 0.59. And you get used to it when you're shooting actually pretty quickly, but it is small. And I would have preferred something bigger. These are like 70% rather than 59%. So that's a nice jump in magnification. They didn't bump up the resolution though, which is a little bit of a bummer. What they did improve with these two and, and the way they work is they're essentially the same camera. It's just the A7C Mark II is a 33 megapixel camera. Okay, the A7CR is a 61 megapixel camera. That's really the difference. Right. Between the the R is for resolution. Yeah. They both have the new newest Sony autofocus systems and in them, including, you know, full subject detection. And Sony's is really good. They we both know have, how we feel on that. <laughs> yeah. They both have the really good, uh, I think they call it the real-time tracking system, which is actually in the A7. C also works fantastic. Um, it is so sticky. You put the autofocus sensor in something of interest, you can move your camera all around and it just sticks like glue nice. to it. Nice. So the neat thing about it is if you're doing focus and recompose, super easy with them. Mm -hmm. um, a thing that the original doesn't have and these don't have either is a joystick. But given what I just said, it's a little bit less of an issue mm -hmm. than you would think. Yeah, well, if you practice. don't have to move the autofocus point around, right? No, and they, they've done a few other Im improvements to them. I think they're good little cameras. Here's the only thing I would say. Even when I've used something like a fairly lightweight Tamron 28 to 200 zoom on that A7C, 
it just feels unbalanced. I was going to ask you that because, yeah, because what we're talking about here really is, you know, the sensors are what Sony has, but you know, we're looking now at, at what's what the sensor is wrapped in, and these are supposed to be sort of slim form factor cameras. So the idea of putting something like a seventy to two hundred doesn't <sighs> make a lot of sense to me. These are ones that you would want to use, like you said, with primes, or maybe with this little sixteen to thirty-five. You know, and that's it's still a five hundred and fifty gram lens. I mean, that's you know at the most. So right. so these are like more for like what would you think street or travel or whatever, you know, like those kinds of applications mm -hmm. where, where you want a smaller body and yeah. you're going to use some smaller lenses. And you mentioned before, Sony does have some smaller lenses for their full frame cameras um, as well as there's some, yeah, some wonderful ones, third party options too. So that's very nice for, for users. At, at least my advice is I would not get one of these if it was going to be your primary camera despite them being very capable, the ergonomics and size and other things, it's just not well suited to that. I would go with one of their regular ones instead. You can get all the same features. They're not much more money. Mm -hmm. um, that would be my advice because the, these things will get awkward with bigger lenses. They're just not that pleasant. They're wonderful with small ones. Just no. absolutely wonderful. Now, speaking of bigger lenses, right? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> there was an announcement that came out while I was traveling. So this is about a week and change ago mm -hmm. for a new lens that Tamron is coming out with. And Tamron's been making some wonderful lenses. I mean, well, the, to be clear, this is not a new lens. Or, or Sorry. It, I, it's been out for a while in a Sony mail. Right. It's coming out for Nikon now. Right. Um, and, and what I was going to say is that, you know, there was a time when we early on with our podcast where the Tamron lenses just, they just didn't feel like they were solidly built. You know, they just, they were just lacking. They existed. They were simply, good optically in a lot yeah, of cases. They, they, they just sort of existed to be lower cost. And, and, and Tamron is really, really up their game. Their, their lens build quality now is, is just outstanding. They've got vibration reduction. They've got all these things in there and they're making some really great, great lenses um so this one is a 35 to 150 f2 to 28 so it's fast uh you know not really wide normal to telephoto zoom lens and it's out in sony mount it's also out in nikon mount and it runs about two grand <laughs> so it's not cheap um <laughs> we're going to diverge and we can talk about the marketing that I'm reading about it and how we would interpret this lens. So or what we think it would be good for. Yeah. So, so, so here's the, here's the thing. I, I think about this range. I think about those aperture. you know, that's a nice sort of all purpose portrait lens. Don't you think? I do. Um, and how much does it weigh? 2.6 pounds. Okay. It was like eleven 1 hundred something. Grams. Yeah, I mean it's over. It's it's that's, it's over a kilogram. I mean it's that's it's, beefy. It it is it is a chunk of a lens. That's now if this was the only more than some seventy to two hundred two eights that are out right, right now. Way so when we saw that, I you know for me I'm like, well that's not what I align with. Um, you know because what we shoot is is different. Um, your comment to me was though that could be really nice as a basically a one lens wedding kit 
or maybe or, pair it with one other lens, you know, or just or perhaps someone doing like couple shots, family shots, portrait photography. It mm -hmm. just seems to scream that because you got a fast aperture, even at the long end, is still two eight, yeah. um, and a thirty five f two. That's a nice and like know. I said, it's been out for a while now in a Sony mount, and everything I've heard about, it, I've not used it personally, um, has been wonderful in terms of its optics. It's, it's right, supposed so to be very very good. So, so I was taken aback a little. I think we were both a little bit surprised when I went to read the the you know the the marketing description um, for this lens, and they lead off with that this is the, positioned as the ideal travel lens. Ugh. I said, "What are you talking about, man?" Like we both like to travel, and I don't think either of us would want their primary lens to be a two point six pounder. You know, that, mind you, we haven't even had added a camera body to it yet. I, yeah. I don't want to walk around the streets of Paris with with this on my neck. Now, no. if I'm shooting portraits, again, different different equation. But I can't imagine how this would be a travel lens, except for you know, somebody it's, decided that that was it because just of its strikes brain. me as odd marketing. Yeah, that Very was just marketing. weird. Um, you know, because we both gravitate towards things like a 24 to 120, 24 to 105, something in that range, F4, for travel, because it's a great range, but it's also lighter um, yeah. and, and easier to, to walk around with. Um, heck, even a 24 to 120 can start to feel heavy, um, depending on what body you put it on, right? Mm -hmm. So so I don't see this as a travel lens. And, it, uh, and I, at least for me, I would have to pair it with a wide angle zoom or something like right. that you'd want a 16 it's just to not 35 to go with it yeah, yeah. so and then you're talking fairly heavy kit right you're talking about a five pound kit at that point plus your body yikes so I, I did that in the past but i was a lot younger and i'm not willing to abuse myself like that anymore it's just not fun yeah it, it isn't and um you know one of the things uh that i was doing while while traveling was, you know, a lot of photo walks, a lot of experimenting, you know, trying to do longer exposure, you know, stuff like that. This lens would get really tiresome in a hurry to, to try to use on something like my Alaska cruise, you know, just wouldn't have been the right, you know, which was a travel event essentially mm -hmm. just wouldn't have been the right thing. I'm, I'm happy with the, the gear that I did bring, but I mean, you know, I, I didn't, if, if, if I were picking lenses out, this wouldn't have been one that went in the bag. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Again, it doesn't mean it's a bad lens. No, no, no. It's one that we're thinking about trying to get on a loaner just to try it out. But I, I can't possibly see us recommending it for travel coming out of that experience. I, I could imagine us saying, gosh, this would be nice for portrait photography, whether it's small groups or individuals or whatever. Yeah, I can believe it. Should be it great. would be. It would be. And if that's what Different you're doing, use. if that's what you're doing, I mean, then it is a great choice. I mean, yeah, I, I could see it be, being outstanding. You know, because when you start talking about portrait lenses or, or lenses that are good for portraits, I don't mean like, you know, one eights or whatever, you know, F 1.4 stuff. Having something with that range and not having to change lenses a lot, 
could be quite nice. I, I yeah. could just see that, you know, engagement photos and and that kind Ooh. of thing being really good with a lens like that. So Perfect. that's our that's our take. Anyway, um, I believe we're just about out of time. I want to again. Well, we extend, already were a few minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, I want to extend thanks again to everybody who has signed up to sponsor our podcast over on our Image Doctors Photo dot com website there's a link to sponsor the the show we appreciate all of our sponsors and um we will be and, and i know you posted some new articles on our blog recently so mm -hmm. if you haven't so if you are a sponsor and you haven't checked those out yet you might want to do so they're at imagedoctorsphoto.com and they're accessible to um to uh, certain sponsorship tiers so take a look at those and until next time happy shooting all right. Bye-bye.